Hey, New Life Gillette Church, we are thrilled you decided to listen to our teaching on your favorite podcast app. If you made a decision to follow Christ today, would you let us know by visiting yes.newlifegillette.com? Here is this week's teaching. Today, Hey, let me say welcome to those of you who are watching on church307.com, to the guys over at the prison, to our friends at the jail, and those of you who are here in the room, we are in the fourth week of a series we've called Kingdom Freedom. And we are making the statement that there is freedom available to Christians that is not available to anybody else. Like a different kind of freedom that goes beyond just your circumstances and your temporary situation. The freedom that is available to us as Christians is desperately, like deeply needed in every part of our lives needed. You know, when people come to church, primarily when they come for counseling or for for some advice in their lives, usually they find themselves in bondage in one way or the other. Maybe it's an addiction or a relationship or a mental struggle or an emotional struggle, and they find themselves in bondage. And our temptation in, in counseling is to say, okay, here's your task list. You need to do this, 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 this. And you complete all the task lists, then it'll help your problem. And the reality is it can help a little bit, But we want something so much more than just managing the situation we're in. We want freedom. We want to be set free. And we believe that the only one who can heal us, who can give us new life, who can set us free is Jesus Christ. And so that's kind of what this whole series is about. I love one of the reasons I love working with Pastor Paul is when people come to him for counseling, uh, he'll do the steps and he'll, he'll say, here are some things that you need. But at the end of it, he always just like, what you really need, you just need Jesus. Like what you really need is, it's more than just a task list or some to do some stuff. You just need a spiritual revival. You need Jesus. That's his prescription for everybody who comes to him. And it's just true about all of us. But because we're in a series about freedom, I felt like I had to take at least one of these messages and address the opposite of freedom and address slavery. You know, there is a rumor going around uh, right now that the Bible condones slavery. And I don't know if you've heard it. If you have any friends that are antagonistic towards Christianity, you may have heard them say, oh, I can't be a part of that religion because your book condones slavery. And so I want to address that claim today. Does the Bible condone slavery? I I think it's a worthwhile question to answer. So let's watch this. Did you know that one of the most important railroads in American history had no tracks and no trains have ever traveled on it? The Underground Railroad was, in fact, a secretive network of people and places that helped tens of thousands of enslaved people escape to freedom. In the 17 and 1800s, enslaved people in North America were subjected to a life of extreme hardship. Forced to work around the clock for no pay, they subsisted on meager rations, lived in squalid conditions, and many were physically and mentally abused by their merciless slave owners. Escape or assisting escape was a crime. If caught, fugitives were severely punished, returned to their enslavers, or even killed. Slavery was particularly entrenched in the rural South, So the promise of freedom lay in the North, where many state governments had chosen to abolish slavery. And by the early 1800s, an escape route known as the Underground Railroad had been established. A sprawling network of secret routes, pathways, and safe houses 
that helped enslaved people cross into the North to be free. But the railroad was fraught with danger. The possibility of capture and death lay around almost every corner. Those traveling on the railroad were led by brave guides known as conductors. Ordinary people who did extraordinary things, like Harriet Tubman, dubbed the Moses of her people, who had successfully fled the plantations herself. And white abolitionist Levi Coffin, who once masterminded a fake funeral procession with enslaved people disguised as mourners. It's thought that up to 100,000 enslaved people were emancipated by traveling this extraordinary network, making the Underground Railroad one of the most audacious and successful anti-slavery campaigns in U.S. history. What should you do when you think a law is immoral or unethical? Can you guess the faith background of the conductors? All these people that were listed in this movie as people who were leading this underground road. Can you guess their faith background? They're Christians. A bunch of, every single one of them, all of them self-professed Christians. Well, how's that possible if our Bible condones slavery? If the book that they claim to follow condones slavery, then why are they risking their lives to set people free? There's some disconnect there. In fact, that's not the only time in history when it was Christians who led the movement to abolish slavery. Look back at the 300s AD. You got a bunch of Christians who finally get into some power and they decide they're going to use their power to set people free. We are a part of the Wesleyan denomination. The Wesleyan denomination was founded by guys like Orange Scott. If you wonder why we like the color orange around here, our founder was a guy named Orange Scott. It was the Wesleyan Methodists, and the, West, and the Methodists were pro-slavery, and the Wesleyan side of the, the denomination decided back in the Civil War days, no, we are against slavery, and so the denomination split, and that's how we were founded. We were founded by people who decided that slavery was against what Scripture teaches us to do, and they decided to fight against it. Well, how is that the case if the book that we claim to follow condones slavery? The truth is, the truth of Scripture leads to freedom, not to slavery. But the pushback you usually get is, yeah, but all those southern slave owners used the Bible to justify slavery. And that is true. They did. They pointed to the fact that Abraham owned slaves, and so it must be okay. Well, just because the Bible describes an event does not mean the Bible is condoning that event. Description is different than prescription. It's not telling us that we should follow in Abraham's footsteps in this way but it's just describing the reality of the world that existed at that time. We can't read Scripture and pick and choose and decide, I'm going to quote this verse, but not this verse. I'm going to believe this idea and not this idea. Reading Scripture at some point requires some harmonization where we take the big picture, the full story, and come to the conclusion of what is, the, what is it trying to teach me. What is it telling me? Rather than looking in Scripture and picking and choosing the things that will justify my beliefs and justify my ideas. When we come to the Bible and try to listen to its claims, we can easily misjudge those claims if we hear them only from within the framework of our own modern assumptions. Letting the Bible speak for itself, that is, letting it speak in its own terms, 
includes letting the Bible speak from within its own worldview rather than merely our own. In other words, when you read about slavery in the Bible, you have to remember the situation that this, these events are happening in. Also, what is the definition of what they mean by slavery? What is actually happening in this, these situations? So we're going to take a look at what was the situation that we read about when we read about the Bi or slavery in the Bible. Don't you think it would be awesome if when Jesus came to earth, he summarized everything he came to do in one sentence? Wouldn't that be awesome? Well, he's pretty cool. So he did that. And in Luke, we get to read where Jesus just summarizes for us everything that he came to do. So he's at his boyhood home, the synagogue he grew up going to when he was a kid. And the scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to Jesus. So Isaiah is a book in the Old Testament now. It's the same book that Jesus was reading back then. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Good news to the poor. He has sent me to... Now, I want to pause here because I think it's a good exercise when you come upon something like this to predict. What is it that Jesus is about to say he was sent to do? What is his message? What is the why behind all the things that he did? He sent me to. Did he say he sent me to defeat Islam? He sent me to overthrow governments. Now, actually, the one that most people assume he says is, he sent me to make the world more moral. He sent me to make people obey. He sent me to enforce the rules. Is that why Jesus came? No. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free. So he gives us a little list of things that he came to do. And two of the three things are like directly about setting people free. How is the Bible condoning slavery exactly? Sin and slaves. There is a direct juxtaposition between Jesus' desire to set us free and sin's desire to enslave you. Because here's, what's hap here's what ha ha happens. Sin enslaves people, and people that are enslaved by sin enslave other people. And it's the sin that perpetuates itself, that continues to hand it off generation to generation. But freed people or forgiven people are saved, are rescued, are set free. And people that have been set free from the bondage of sin set other people free. It is a gift that we continue to give. We receive the gift, so we give it to others. We set people free. That's what we do. Then he says, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. The time of the Lord's favor. It's not the time of the Lord's law. It's not the time of the Lord's dominance. It's not the time of morality. It is the time of the Lord's favor. In other words, it is the time when God gets to give us the gift, the good gift. I love my sons a lot. 
And because of my love language, I like to give my son gifts. And so I, it's my habit. If I see something cool that I know that they, that would like light them up, I'm like, I want to give that to him. I love to give my sons gifts. Well, the problem is I know my temptation to give them too much gifts and spoil them. And as their father, I don't want them to be spoiled. So I have to resist the temptation to give them too many gifts, right? But when Christmas comes around, I stand before my children and I say, the time of dad's favor has come. I don't really say that, but that's the way I feel. It's like, I get, I get, to, do, I get to give you gifts because I love my kids. This is the way God is with us. He loves to give you gifts. He loves, his favor, he loves you so much, he cannot wait to give you gifts. But here's what he knows. It's hard for a rich man to go through the eye of a needle, or a camel to go through the eye of a needle. So it's hard for a rich man to get into heaven. So I can't give you too much, in other words. He's like, I want to give you good gifts, but I got to be careful. And this is what God does with us. There's some times in our lives when God has to say no, because he loves us. I'm pretty sure after I spank my sons, they don't feel like I'm giving them a good gift, but I am, right? That's what we know. We are wise enough to know that not all gifts come in the form of nicely wrapped presents. What it comes in the form of is love and doing what love requires of us. That is the favor that God gives us. And then the really cool, cool part of the passage. He rolled up the scroll handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. And I'm watching this scene. I've, I've stood in the synagogue where this event happened. It's really cool. You can go there. It's still there today. And I imagine Jesus walking with a little bit of attitude in this moment, you know? His chin's a little bit raised. He drops the mic. <laughs> then he sits down. And all eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. That favor that we just read about in Isaiah, I'm him. Jesus was reading a prophecy that was written by Isaiah 800 years before this. And he says, that Messiah that Isaiah was prophesying, it's me. I am him. And everyone spoke well of him. And they are amazed by his, what? Gracious words that came from his lips. Jesus came to give us the gift of freedom, to set captives free. So what happened? Why is it when, that when the church or when the world looks at the church, they don't see a group of freedom purveyors as people who are all about setting captives free? Why, why isn't that what they see? Well, largely it's because we got off mission. It's largely our fault because we got way more about enforcing our rules than we did about setting people free. The church 
became moralists. And we were more concerned with getting everybody to obey our morals than getting people into Jesus, getting Jesus into people's hearts. We lost track of what he said he came to do. The ironic thing is now our culture has taken a page out of that book, and now they're the moralists. They look around culture, and they are all judging. Everybody's pointing fingers. They're just using different morals to do it. Because if you don't have the Bible as your foundation of your morals, then what are the morals? Well, it's just whatever I think. So they've got their morals, and they've got their morals, and they're both pointing fingers, calling each other immoral because they're not following my morals, and they're not following my morals. Well, whose morals are we following here if we have no foundation at all? And everybody, we've got a world of just a bunch of people judging each other because that's what moralism leads to. Moralism makes us judgmental separatists. And when the church becomes moralistic, we are nothing like Christ. Are we Christians? Are we Christ followers? Then what did Christ do? He lived in a society that regularly, regularly called him a drunkard. Why? Because he hung out with drunks. Their morals called Jesus a sinner, perfect Jesus. Their morals, their created lists of rules called Jesus a sinner. Why? Because they were the moralists, not Jesus. Because Jesus spent his time with liars, with tax collectors, thieves, with prostitutes. These were his friends. Why? Because he did not come primarily to get people to be more moral. Now, we do believe that when people have a relationship with Christ, then there is a moment at which he will say, now go and sin no more. There is an, a, a, a healthy side effect that comes along with being in relationship with Christ. But that's not our objective. What's our objective? We are emancipators. We set people free, but that's not the rumor. The rumor is we're a bunch of racists and that the Bible condones slavery or is pro-slavery. So I think we should address the rumor. What does the Bible actually say about slavery? One of the verses that you hear quoted a lot when people say the Bible is pro-slavery is this verse that Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. He says, slaves, obey your earthly masters. Pause there. All I needed. See, you condone slavery, Paul. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, just when they, not just when they are watching you. If you stop there, I could see how you could misconstrue this and determine that the Bible is pro-slavery. Slaves should obey their masters. Now, if you look at it another way, you recognize, actually, he might be giving them this advice because it'll be good for them because you disobey your masters and there's consequences. I don't want you to experience that pain. I don't want you to experience those consequences. So obey your masters. But this is when Paul turns a corner. This is why you can't stop reading because Paul gives masters instructions. Masters aren't supposed to get instructions. They're supposed to give instructions. But Paul gives them instructions and Paul says, masters, treat your slaves in the same way. 
What? In the same way? You just told slaves to serve their masters sincerely. So now are you saying masters should serve their slaves? Yep. Why? Because he's a Christ follower. And what did Christ do? God. God, the creator. What did he do? He came to the world to serve. He, the master, became a slave. He washed their feet. He served them. And he died a slave's death. Yes, masters, serve. Serve each other. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master. You're not the master. You have the same master in heaven, and he has no favorites. You know, Jacob had a favorite son. That's description. That is not prescription. Scripture is not telling us that we should have a favorite son. No, it is telling us that God, the perfect father, has no favorites. And if you look at the honest story, you will recognize that the Bible actually introduced a revolution of anti-slavery to the world. Jesus' agenda was to set people free. We are all created in God's image. We are all equal, and we are all called to submit to each other, to serve each other when we want to serve ourselves. Anyone who says that the Bible condones slavery just hasn't read it honestly. They're either ignorant, which I think is most often the case, or they're just a flat-out liar. Now, there are some people who read this, and what they want is rather than Paul to give advice for, to, to slaves and masters, what they want is for Paul to write and say, abolish slavery, end all slavery. Well, if that's what Paul does, we've got some problems. Because a couple thousand Christians, or a couple hundred, depending on how many you think there were at this time, are not going to end slavery in the world. In fact, if they did end slavery in the world, there would be some very bad consequences. Because slavery at this time was the foundation of the world's economy. You pull out slavery and the economy collapses and you got starvation everywhere. At this time in history, most people, a majority of people, were slaves. But you also have to remember that the definition of slave meant something very different than it, then than it does today. Slavery in this time was more like a job. For many people, slavery was a good thing. It's what we would today call indentured servanthood. Remember, they did not have welfare. They didn't have Medicaid. They didn't have food stamps. So if you're poor, what do you do? Who do you go to for help? Well, you become a slave. That's what you do. And that is better than starvation. That is better than homelessness. You know what the difference between a servant and a slave at this time was? A servant served, got paid, and went home. A slave, rather than the exchange of money, a slave just lived under the master's roof. He 
ate the master's food. He had the master's protection because he was in the master's home. And for many people, the very poor people, being a servant was actually preferable. It's just different than what we think about when we think about slavery. And that's the Greco-Roman version of slavery that we're talking about in Paul's time. But some people would push back and they're like, yeah, but didn't God put slavery in the judicial system of the Old Testament? The covenant he wrote with the Jews. Well, God did describe some protections for slaves in the Jewish system. But look at what Jesus or what God does for the slaves in Israel at this time. In a world where slavery is just what you do when you're poor. In a world where slavery is everywhere, here's what God says about slaves. God says, if a slave escapes, don't return them because it shows they were abused. God says, if you hit a slave, then he goes free. God says, no one should be a slave for more than six years. And in the Old Testament, slavery is never based on race. So when you say the Bible condones slavery, it's a very sloppy statement. Because what kind of slavery are we talking about? It's not the slavery of the transatlantic slave trade. And I, I think we should address the race question. I didn't want to talk about this last year because the news media was going nuts about it and I didn't want to go along with their agenda. But I do think we as Christians need to talk about race. Why is it that often evangelicals are tempted to be ambivalent about racism? I think we have to be clear that racism is sin of all forms. We can never catch ourselves winking at any form of favoritism based on race. You know, when 1% of the world is transgender, we lose our minds, but 1% is racist and we just kind of wink at it. No, it's a sin. We want nothing to do with it. It's evil. I, I, I'll be honest with you, I can't think of a sin that is more directly in contradiction with what Jesus came to do with the woman at the well, the Samaritan, the, the one who expanded God's people to include all races. No, we have been redeemed. We have been changed by Jesus Christ. We have adopted his priorities, his mentalities. He is renewing our mind. He is changing our hearts. And because of that, that's what we do. We hand off this freedom. Scripture focused on renewing minds and changing hearts. And that changes the way we see people, the way we treat people. We introduce Christ to people so that he can change them, so that he can make them free. And then when they see their poor brothers and sisters in need, they're not going to see them as slaves anymore. They're going to see them as brothers and sisters. That kind of love that Christ puts in our hearts. So what's the point? I need a volunteer. Somebody volunteer for me? Does this make you more want to volunteer? Anyone? 
Come on up, Aaron. You got it. Oh, that was good. That was close. Uh, this is Aaron. Everybody say hi, Aaron. Aaron. Aaron, uh, Aaron is, uh, let's, let's pretend that Aaron doesn't go to church. And he has uh, a hesitation about going to church. Because he already has a hard time in life following all the rules and, and doing all the things that society says you should do to be a good, upstanding citizen and have a healthy life and all that stuff. It's already hard enough to follow all the rules. And if I go to church, here's all they're going to do. Put your hands out like this. Here's all they're going to do. They're just going to give me more rules. And they're going to say, no smoking, no drinking, no gambling, and no sex ever. That's what they're going to say. That's the church, right? So I don't want to go there. I have no interest in going there. I've already got enough problems. I've already got enough rules. I've already got enough things to do. But here's the truth. This is not what Christ invited people to do when they followed him. It's not come follow us so you can follow a bunch of rules. What Christ taught us is that everybody's already coming in like this. They're already coming in with the chains, the addictions, the relationship struggles, the, the anxiety, the mental health issues, the emotional issues. They're, they're already in chains. We don't put people in chains. We ask them, we invite them to follow Christ so that he can remove the chains. Thanks, Aaron. Give Aaron a hand. We are invited to follow Christ, to be like Christ, so we can lead people to the chain breaker, the one who wants to remove them from his life, their lives. So get involved in the process of helping people break free of their chains. Stop fighting the bat battles the way that the world wants you to fight battles. And lead people to Christ. Because the good news is, He is a loving God. And the time of the Lord's favor has come. There's somebody here today who's kind of been standing on the outside, trying to decide if something that they want to join, something they want to be a part of. Jesus is inviting you to a relationship today that will change your life, that will set you free in a way that nothing else can. Today is the day. Don't put it off. Don't wait. Start a relationship with him. There's a card in the chair in front of you that says, I've decided if you'd fill that out, we're going to sing a song. You can do that. Or if you're watching online, you can go to church307.com and fill out a connect card. Let us know that today you are making a decision to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ so that he can set you free in a way that nobody else can. We're going to sing a song this morning, and it's something that many of you will know. So you stand up and sing it with us. I've been walking the same old road for miles and miles. I've been hearing the same old voice tell the same old lies. If you're trying to feel the same old holes inside, there's a better life. There's a better life. If you got pain, he's a pain taker. If you feel lost, he 
he's a way maker. If you need freedom or saving, he's a prison shaking savior. If you got chains, he's a chain breaker. Amen. We've all searched for the light of day in the dead of night. We've all found ourselves worn out from the faithful fight. We've all run to things we know just ain't right. But there's a better life. There's a better life. You got pain. He's a pain taker. You feel lost, he's a way maker. If you need freedom or saving, he's a prison shaking savior. If you got shame, he's a chain breaker. Yeah. If you believe it, if you receive it. You can feel it. Somebody testify, testify, yeah. If you believe it, if you receive it, if you can feel it, somebody testify, testify. If you believe it, if you receive it, if you can feel it, somebody testify. You got pain, he's a pain taker. If you feel lost, he's a way maker. If you need freedom or saving, he's a prison shaking savior. If you got shame, we believe he's a chain breaker. Yeah. If you need freedom or saving, he's a prison shaking savior. If you got chains, he's a chain breaker. Yeah. Man. Man, go ahead and grab a seat. God, we run to you today. And I pray if there is anybody here who is on the outside of a relationship looking in, I pray that they would see you for who you are, what you actually came to do, what a relationship with you would actually look like, that your Holy Spirit right now would begin to speak to them, show them the way, and give them the courage to step out in faith. Love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.